Well, good morning. It is wonderful to have all of you here this morning. Please join me as we begin by singing the doxology together, and it's number 549 in your red hymnals, the doxology. is hymn number 704. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. Happy are the meek. They will receive what God has promised. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Happy are those who show mercy to others. God will show mercy to them. Happy are the pure in heart, they will see God. Happy are those who work for peace among men, God will call them his sons. Happy are those who suffer persecution because they do what God requires, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you when men insult you and mistreat you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Rejoice and be glad because a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how men mistreated the prophets who lived before you. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is number 138, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. Number 138.
Our scripture reading this morning is Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually encourage each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for the time that we have worshipped you together thus far. And Lord, I would ask that this worship would continue as we continue to encourage each other in our walk with you. Help me now, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. You know, one of the things that I do is I, I teach history along with a, a lot of other things, and I also teach psychology. And currently I am teaching psychology at a community college here in the state. And one of the things that I told the students in our first meeting a couple of weeks ago is I reminded them as you learn tools about how you think, how you feel, how you operate, and you learn also about how others think, feel, and operate, that there is always a danger when you acquire knowledge about how we react and how we respond, psychologically, socially, and I would argue with you spiritually as well. And I was telling them about the fact that as you gain better understanding about yourself, that you use it in a positive manner, not in a negative manner. That you use it in such a way that you don't manipulate others for good, excuse me, for bad, but you manipulate others for good. And the class really responded to that. It was interesting to see their discussion about that whole issue, that when we are given knowledge about certain things, that we have to make a choice about whether we use it for good or whether we use it for bad. And this morning I want to talk about the fact that we need to identify who we are as we walk with God. Paul identified with the Romans here in terms of who they were as they were walking with God and he was encouraging them in their faith because their faith had become known. The way that they were acting as Christians became known. And Paul, in his honesty, just told them about, hey, you know what, I've been trying to get there to see you, I've been having some difficulties, 
but you know what? I'm going to come to see you because it's really important that I see you and that I have an obligation to come to you, to share with you more about the gospel, to give you the opportunity to encourage me as I want to encourage you as well. So who are we? And you can ask the question, who am I? One of my favorite stories that I like to tell every once in a while is when I was going to college a long time ago in San Francisco, the professor of philosophy was sitting next to me, excuse me, not sitting next to me, standing next to me, if you get the picture, in a place that is for men only. And I asked him, I said, Dr. Humphreys, can you tell me what is the greatest knowledge that you want to impart to me as we're standing there imparting other things? And he said, for you to know, see, some of you are getting it, so you understand. For you to know yourself, he said, know thyself. And that's always stuck with me, to know thyself. And there's always a challenge for us to look at ourselves, to understand ourselves better. There's always our challenge that we have when we have to look at ourselves for who we are and to examine our strengths and to examine our weaknesses. But yet we are to do that. Because we cannot present the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot present the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way to bring others to salvation unless we truly know ourselves. And we cannot have, as the scriptures here this morning that we've read, ends, the righteousness will live by faith. We cannot be righteous in our lives unless we know thyself, unless we know who are we as followers of his son, Jesus Christ. And I think Paul did a lot of self-examination about who he was. And obviously some of us are familiar with his story and that his name used to be called Saul and he used to persecute the Christians and he did so with all kinds of zealousness. But yet he had that Damascus Road experience and he came to know Christ. Some of us have had a Damascus Road experience. Some of us have had more of a general gradual process. As we have seen the light, we entered into the light one step at a time. But either way, whether it was a Damascus Road experience when it was just an instantaneous light and you understood all things, or whether it was one step at a time and as you entered into the light, things became more brighter and clearer for you to see and understand about yourself and that you accepted Christ. Either way, we had to come to an understanding about who we are, about ourselves and our relationship with God. Because it is only then that we can live by the faith that God wants us to have. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things yet unseen. And we are to live our lives according to that definition of faith for us as followers of Jesus Christ. But yet, it is difficult. It is difficult. I was having a discussion with Lynn, and we were talking about the whole idea of grace and to understand that grace and what it means. Because we had been listening to a, a Christian song on the radio, and we were talking about the song and the lyrics of the song. 
And as we were talking about grace, I, I told her that God gives us the grace that we need to have to be forgiven and that all the things that we have done, past and present and future, will disappear and we are clean and we are no longer held accountable for those things. But yet God does not give us approval to do wrong things. Does that make sense? He forgives us. And he says all of those things are gone and they have disappeared. But God does not give us approval. We do not have God's permission to do wrong things because we are covered under grace. And the reason why that is so is just like with my children as they were growing up, you know, they would go outside and play. Now, those of you that have had little ones, and now that I have grandchildren, we have other sets of little ones, when they go out and play, they usually get hurt, don't they? But it's not my desire that they be hurt. But yet I know that I have to give them the freedom to go and play. Does that make sense? And I don't give them permission to get hurt. Go outside and play. Break your leg. Break your arm. Skin your knee. No, I don't give permission for them to do that. But I know that it's going to happen but yet it is my desire that they never get hurt, but yet they have the freedom to do so. And for me, grace is kind of that description for me. Grace gives me the freedom to go out and to enjoy life and to enjoy the world, but God is not giving me approval to hurt myself or to hurt others. Does that make sense? Because sometimes I come up with these weird ideas and only I understand what I'm talking about. You know, God does not give us permission to hurt ourselves, but yet we do hurt ourselves. And so when we identify with that, when we understand that who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, we are covered by God's grace. And then we become righteous, and then we can live by faith. And we know God is not giving us the permission to go out and do wrong things to go out and hurt ourselves, and to go out and hurt others. God says, no, I don't want you to do that. That is not my intention for you that are followers of Jesus Christ. And so we have this standard that we have to live by. And many people say, oh, that's an impossible standard, and you're going to make mistakes. And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to do wrong things. We are going to hurt ourselves, and we are going to hurt others. But yet God wants us to still understand that as we walk daily with him, that our lives are to reveal the presence of Christ in our lives. Because that's the only way that other people can come to salvation. It is through our testimony. It is through, not just in the things that we say, but in the things that we do. And that really reveals the character of Paul as he is addressing the Romans. And it should really address our own character when we desire to share salvation with others. That we should examine ourselves. And when we do so, we should be reminded that God has done for us what is right and perfect for each and every one of us. 
So if you have, and I have to be careful here, if you have those little voices, and I do not hear anything audible, okay? Let me make that clear here. And some of you are smiling because you understand what I'm talking about. But when we have those little things that come up in our consciousness that tells us that we are no good, that tells us that the wrong that we have done have never been, could never be forgiven. The hurt that we've done to others and ourselves could never be forgiven. Those are not the thoughts and the consciousness that comes from God. Those are not the thoughts and the consciousness that comes from God. God does not tell us those things about ourselves. He tells us again and again that we have been forgiven. And that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, right? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us righteous. God wants us to be righteous in all things. For those of you that are around in my time frame, you remember that term, right? It used to come up quite often, righteous, right? People would say, that was righteous. Now, they weren't making a scriptural reference to it, but they were saying, that's righteous. I mean, that's good, that's right. Right on, right? Right on, that's righteous. And God wants us to say the things about ourselves. There is no reason for any of us to be ashamed of our past. God has removed the past from his eyes. The past should be removed from our eyes as well. Because if we understand grace and incorporate it into our lives then those things that we have done should disappear. So the question when I think about this and as I was thinking about the sermon, then why do I want to hold on to the past? When everything that we do here when we come and worship, in all honesty, talks about the fact that we have been set free from the past. And that what our concern needs to be is in the present and going forward. I would love to be able to have the power to let go of my past. But God has given me that power if I want to access it. If I want to go to and say, God, I know that you have forgiven me of the past, that those things that are weighting me down, even though I follow you and even though I confess those things again and again and again and again, all of a sudden I have these intrusive thoughts about things that I have done long ago. And I can say long ago because as I'm getting older, they are long ago. But God reminds me, same way that God reminds you as well. The past has been forgotten. The past has been 
forgiven. God reminds me in spirit and truth as we sing his hymns, as we read his word together, as we offer prayers together, as we have fellowship together, that we are to encourage each other and to encourage each other in if no other thing in the fact that your past has been forgiven and forgotten in the eyes of God and that my past has been forgiven and forgotten in the eyes of God. That is the best way, I think, that we can encourage each other as we come together to worship on Sunday, to remind ourselves of that fact. But there's no reason for us to feel guilty any longer about anything that we have done. It doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities. not saying that. Remember, forgiveness does not say yes to bad behavior, to wrong things, to hurting yourself, to hurting others. God is never saying yes to that. He never gives us permission to do that. But what he does say yes to is the fact that you and I no longer have to carry that guilt. You and I no longer have to live in the past when we are in the present. And when we look forward to the future, the future is good. The future is bright. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have any challenges. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. But what it does mean is that when you and I, as we walk with God, are reminded that our past is gone, we live more freely in the present. We live more freely as we look to the future because those things are gone. And God wants us to always look forward. Always to look forward. Because then we are taking the grace that God has given us. We are taking the grace and understanding that it is not God's permission to do wrong things. On the contrary, God's grace is to remind us that you are to work freely in the places that I have put you in. To live in a righteous way. To live by faith. To live and to understand that as you walk with me, that you also are a demonstration of a testimony of what I have done in your life. And that's what God wants us to do. That's how God wants us to live. And as Paul talks about his obligation to the Greeks, to the non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish, I like that. I have trouble dealing with stupid people, but yet I have an obligation to do that and to love them. You and I have that obligation, and it is not a burdensome obligation. It is an obligation in which we embrace freely because it demonstrates to ourselves and our relationship to God and to others, that you and I are not ashamed 
of the gospel, the good news, the truth of what we are to be representing in our lives. Because when we know that, when we understand that, we can sense the power of God in our lives. We can sense the power of God in our lives to change the things that we need to change about ourselves so that we can walk daily and closely with Him. And in the same way, we see the power of God manifest itself in other people's lives by the prayers and the encouragement that we give to each other. Because you see, we cannot see that power of God working in our lives unless we understand that that good news and that gospel that we have received applies to every aspect of our lives. And then we live by faith and not by sight. Then we see in our own lives that as grace is profoundly given to us freely, then we begin to hurt ourselves less and less because we understand that God is loving us just for who we are. And then we hurt others less and less, because we understand that as our past has been taken care of and as our past has disappeared, that God no longer wants us to live under those burdens of the mistakes that we have done in our lives. He wants to live life with us, one of freedom, one of no boundaries, one in which we walk with God happily in such a way that our life of righteousness is revealed once again with our faith. You know, and we call it in the military the OODA loop, right? If you remember that, the OODA loop concept, where things go around in a process again and again and again and again and again and again. And God tells us that if you live a righteous life, understanding the grace that I have given you, that we have a wonderful obligation to encourage each other in our walk with the Lord, to remind us that our pasts in God's eyes are gone in terms of the things that we have done wrong. And then we see within our own lives the righteousness that God wants us to have. And because we have that righteousness, we live by faith. And because we're living by faith, we see the power of God working in our lives and in the lives of others. And we come to that understanding that it is not I, but you, God, that go before me in all things. So it is my hope and prayer that we embrace each other, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reminding each other that our past has disappeared, that I have been set free, that you have been set free, and that we walk worthy, not because of what we have done. We walk worthy because of what Christ has done for us. And then we can live in a righteous way. And we can live by faith in all things. Amen. Please take a few moments and prepare your hearts.
for communion that we partake together. And we do so as an act of encouragement. We do so without obligation. We do so because we want to acknowledge publicly the relationship that we have with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious God, you have reminded us to focus on the life that is in the present and the life that is waiting for us in the future. And God, forgive us when we have been stuck in the past and we have not let the past go the way that we should have, the way that we could have. But God, we know that the past, in your eyes, things that we have done wrong are no longer there and that they have disappeared. And God, help us to understand that so that we can walk and talk more freely with each other about our relationship with each other and can encourage each other with those words. Thank you, God, for this time of communion that we have together. In Christ's name, amen. from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake together. Our closing hymn is number 137. My Jesus, I love thee. 137, my Jesus, I love thee. Jesus, tis now. Be always on our thoughts and always on our lips. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are so thankful that you have reminded us that as we walk with you that we need the encouragement of each other. And Lord, I am so thankful to be encouraged by all that are here. 
And Lord, I would ask that you would be with them, that you would protect them, that you'd remind them of the daily walk that you want them to have with you, and that their past is no longer there. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for coming.